You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello there, I'm Ollie Southgate, and from the Broadway Podcast Network, this is Putting It Together, where usually I sit down with Broadway's best business minds to talk about the state of the art and their role in keeping the world's biggest theatre town at the top of the list. This month, though, as the pandemic continues to keep hundreds of thousands of arts jobs around the world hanging in the balance, now for over a year in many cases, I'm discussing a serious but often undiscussed issue faced by the global live entertainment industry. On today's show, I'm talking to an arts industry survivor from my home in the UK, Meg Massey, the woman behind burnout coach Maggie Supernova, about the highs and, more importantly, the lows of working in the commercial theatre business and the warning signs to watch out for to avoid letting a high-speed career hit a brick wall. I think that the unique thing about theatre is that it is our entire lives, it's our entire passion and so it hits us so hard when it kind of turns against us, when burnout strikes. We discuss how her passion and personality helped her thrive in the arts but ultimately reached a boiling point, the traits that leave both employees and employers more susceptible to the perils of burnout and how she's now using her experience to help others avoid it. So let's find out how Meg Massey puts it all together and how she's now learning to keep it all together. A quick editor's note first, though. About halfway through this episode, you'll notice that the sound of Meg's voice changes pretty drastically. I wasn't going to mention it, but as I was editing today, I realised it would be pretty weird not to. Meg's headphones ran out of battery halfway through the recording, and we had to change the setup slightly. But it's going to sound a bit like we recorded the second half on a completely different day. I promise we didn't. It was just a change of microphone. Actually, quite annoyingly, the one we switched to for the second half sounded way better than the first one. But I just wanted to explain that so that you weren't wondering what happened when that changed does come rather abruptly. Anyway, here's Meg Massey. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I was definitely a theatre kid. I was not necessarily from a theatre family. Our theatre experience when in my childhood was very much sort of the annual local pantomime starring Fraser Hines from Emmerdale. <laughs> that was my childhood theatre experiences. My mum sent me to Stagecoach, which was like a Saturday morning drama school when I was a precocious little child. Um, but also, I think, to build my confidence in a weird way. And that um, was the beginning of the end, because that is what really just awakened me <laughs> to theatre. Um, I think my first theatre memory probably was Um, My grandmother took me to see what must have been like a regional touring production of South Pacific. So I remember that was probably the first proper show I saw in a theatre. And it absolutely blew my mind. I mean, I was obsessed with it for about six months afterwards. And I must have been eight or nine at that time. Um, And then around about the time of being probably 10 or 11, I became obsessed with Cats, the musical. Um, I had the VHS tape. In fact, I had two copies of the VHS tape. I had one that I watched and I had another one that I hid in case my mum ever punished me for something by taking away my cat's video. So oh I had a spare word. just in case. <laughs> <laughs> so I, used to, I used to watch, you're learning so much about me. I used to watch cats every day um, and I would choreograph my own routines and I would perform them for my grandparents on a Sunday afternoon when I went to their house and made them watch cats. Um, So I was very, very obsessed with cats. And so I guess probably it must have been like my 12th birthday or something. That was my first, that would have been my first trip to London to actually see a musical. And we went to see cats, which I almost didn't want to do because I thought that seeing it would ruin it for me because it wouldn't be the same people as the people in the recording. But it was wonderful. And I was even more obsessed with it 
than before. I still Lovely. love cats. Cats is great. <laughs> and how did all of that carry on to a point where you decided uh, you wanted to perform professionally? Because you trained at LSMT, right? I did. Yes. Well, I think it comes from being that sort of quite good, you know, little girl. I was quite good. And I think that being told I was quite good um, and being encouraged, (laughs) being sort of, you know, of that, we're very much of that generation of you can do anything, you can be whatever you want to be. And so, of course, I was like, well, then I want to be in cats. And um, that, that honestly, that is what set me on the path. I just wanted to be in Cats. And so I went to all of the, you know, I went to my Saturday stage school. I went to my dance classes. I was never going to be good enough to be in Cats, but I was just very determined that that was the world that I wanted to be in. And then I just became really obsessed with musical theatre when I was a teenager. And, you know, I was in my music class, my drama class, and I went to college to study acting and musical theatre. And... Then I moved to London when I was 18 because that was what was always in my plan. I was going to get out of my small town countryside life and move to London without a penny to my name. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, and then I started working in theatre. Like my first job was working front of house in theatre. It's just I always knew I needed to be in theatre and I was going to be a famous actress. That was the goal. Um, So I got jobs working front of house, then I got jobs working backstage, then I went on a little regional tour um, in a show called The Cosmic Crew and The Search for the Cosmic Crystal. And I came out from that and I thought I should probably get some actual formal training. Um, So that was when I went to LSMT, which is London School of Musical Theatre. And it was about two weeks into being at London School of Musical Theatre that I realised I was really not good enough to be a professional actress. Um, Oh boy, that's soon. I became very aware of my... Yeah, it was quite an expensive lesson to learn, Um, but I realized that quite early on. And I I think at that time I also realized, but I still want to be in this industry. And so I'm throwing my absolute everything into making sure that happens in some way or other. Um, So, you know, I loved that year of being at at LSMT, um, but I came out and I went straight into working in the West End in various forms. Right. So you were were never... uh jobbing actress after you trained no no not at all (laughs) no I was not um I think you know I came out I just think I figured it out quite quickly um and then I um stuck it out for a year um well it was only a year course but through that year I was very I was I was really trying you know I really gave it my all Um, But it was a realistic thing, you know, when you're surrounded by amazing, incredible talents, many of whom are now working in the West End, um, and I'm super happy for them and, you know, have got some of my lifelong friends from that experience. But I knew, I knew it was, I knew it was not a career choice for me. I knew that if you got me there in the room auditioning for a West End show, I wasn't going to get there. Um, And weirdly, I was kind of okay with it. I feel like I'd gone through... I think I'd burned out quite a few times by that point, which I know we're going to talk about, but I threw myself into everything so, so hard um, that I think by that point, it was actually a little bit of a relief not to go into the world as a jobbing actress and um, have to realize it, you know, in the audition room. So, Mm. so yeah, I came straight into production from there. I never even started that process purely because I knew people who were training and had just graduated right around the time that I would have had to make those decisions. So, of of course, you know, while mm-hmm. 99% of people who get into theatre, that is how it starts, you know, an interest in performing and that kind of thing. Before uh, I even had to make that decision, I saw it be so difficult for so many really talented mm-hmm. pe- people I knew were really talented that I just thought, oh, well, I don't want it that much. <laughs> like, I just want to, uh, you know, I just <laughs> yeah. want to stroll well, onto know, the I stage just... and do it. I don't want to work. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I do think I did work pretty hard up until that point but you can work your ass off but if you don't have the if, if you don't have the talent mm. um and you know I had talent I could sing I can act so I just knew I would be in a room with people belting out you know defying gravity and going that is lovely I love you very much and you're very impressive and I can't wait to come and see you in the show but actually I'm realizing 
that is not really a reality for me. So I best figure out what I'm going to do um, and what I'm going to do really well so I can be massively successful in this industry, which was my goal and, you know, my main priority at the time. Because I was that small town countryside kid who had gone to the big smoke and she would be damned if she was coming back having failed. Right. So. You wanted wanted to have something to <laughs> something to show for it when you got back. Mm-hmm. Um and so then what was the the career path from there? Sort of what was the the C V from that point onwards? So right at the beginning, I mean I worked front of house um in quite a few places, um, and in merchandise and in box office. Um so I really got a feel of kind of how theatres worked really early on. You know, and I was nineteen, twenty at this point. Um I worked backstage a bit, I was a dresser for a while. Um, I did a little stint at sea tickets back in the day early on. Um, and through that, I kind of did a couple of weeks interning with stage entertainment. And so at this time I was really getting into my idea of networking. So I was Mm. kind of, I was making connections with this other side of the industry, um, after I'd decided the performing side was not for me. Um, and that's how I ended up, um, kind of through, all of these different connections and my early days of networking, um, I got a junior level job um, at AKA. Um, and that was when I was about 21, I'm going to say. Um, and I was at AKA for seven years. I worked my way up. Um, I learned loads. I worked on some absolutely incredible projects that, you know, I look back on those days in my early 20s and I did so much amazing stuff. Um, that I really, really loved. But I still worked myself into the ground quite a lot. Um, I still, I, I very much over overloaded myself on a regular basis um, when I was in that job. And so I think that was kind of the early warning signs of the way that my life was going to go. I went from there to Sonia Friedman Productions and I was working on Cursed Child. And um, that was my sort of latest job to date in the entertainment industry because I was international marketing director so I was working on all the productions all around the world Um, and that was my trajectory up until the point of my burnout. Right and so we're getting to the point where we where we're going to talk Mm -hmm. about that uh, moment before we talk about exactly what happened sort of at that exact time how much of it was that specific uh, sort of moment you were in versus, as you say, the sort of seven, eight years before that of, was it sort of a gradually building, bubbling up thing? Oh my God, think? yes. Yeah, right. it was absolutely a build up over 12 years. You know, I look back over sort of 12 years in the entertainment industry. Um, and it's so interesting with the benefit of hindsight. And this is why um, I really feel like I'm kind of able to have these insights now that I look back on it. And now that I look back on it with the aid of a really great therapist. Um, But, you know, when I look back on my attitude towards life and career, my obsession with my work and, you know, um, my obsession with being successful, very much a perfectionist, very, very concerned about what other people thought, making sure that other people were um, happy with what I was doing, were impressed with what I was doing, very much that kind of mindset of, small town girl needs to go and be really successful so that everybody back home knows just how successful she is Mm. um and and I really I think I carried that with me all the way through that I think also the fact that I had sort of set out to go down that performance path and I diverted you know I felt a real pressure to make sure that I um really justified that career diversion and that it was always part of the plan and I would be just as successful if not more so um going down this new route that I went so you know it was all it was all of that it was all of that pressure that I very much put on myself and the fact that although I didn't know it at the time I had been dealing with anxiety since my childhood and that was very much building up and building up and building up um, my very unhealthy attitudes towards working which were I will do all the work. I will work all the hours. I will take all the pressure. Um, just gimme, gimme, gimme. And, you know, wanting to progress as quickly as I possibly could. So, yeah, I think it, it was it really built up over the years. Um, and I think, you know, I just had no ability to um, look after myself while doing all of that other stuff. Did you have any sort of end 
goal in your theatre career other than that? Was the pure motivation sort of the optics of it? Or did you have a point, a, a certain role or a certain point in your career that you really wanted to get to where you felt you would be able to say, I've done it, I've made it? It's so interesting looking back on it, because I don't think I ever thought that far ahead. And also, I know that at the time, if you'd asked me this, I would have no such clarity. I know, looking back, how much I was driven by my anxiety and my you know, desperation to please and to impress and to you know, be accepted. But at the time, I just was on a career trajectory that I thought was going really, really well. Um, mm. So I didn't necessarily have an end goal. Everything that came along in my career actually was quite a surprise. Um, and everything that came along was sort of a happy accident. Everywhere I ended up, I was always sort of going, oh, this is amazing. I'm loving doing this and I'm really good at it. And, you know, I just kept falling into things that I was really good at and that I could succeed at. And so I was happy with what was unfolding because I was happy to see where that took me ultimately. Um, and uh, until the point where <laughs> until the point where my body caught up and went, actually, no, you can't keep going on this trajectory. You really need to listen. And uh, and I didn't listen. And mm. then I collapsed from burnout and exhaustion. And here we are. Right. Well, then I suppose that's as good a time as any to talk about the the ultimate uh, burnout moments. Um, sure. So where, wherever you wherever you want to start, you know, days, weeks, months before the the big day feels like a crass way to say it but you know what I mean um <laughs> leading up to hitting that point what was going on I mean I'd been very very stressed for a very long time and I had been working very hard and working very long hours for a very long time and I think that was you know that was obviously a factor um and then it was also twinned with this build-up of um of stress and anxiety and pressure that had been building up on me over years and years and years i would say i burned out a good few months before i guess everybody realized i had i think i i felt it i think it happened and i just kept carrying on and kept pushing myself sort of going i just need to get through this bit i just need to take a rest i just need to have a weekend or a holiday and then i'll be fine and i think that is the way that's a trap a lot of people fall into um my my big dramatic breakdown moment though <laughs> <laughs> that I like to call it, um, came when I, I think when my body sort of gave up as well. I think my my mind and soul burned out and my body kept pushing um, and kept going until one silly little thing just pushed me over the edge and I completely collapsed um, and had to be taken to a doctor, taken to a therapist and put on that track for recovery. I very much could not have done that myself at the time. And so I was very lucky that I had the support around me that I did to get me the help I needed. So let's talk about burnout then. Mm. And sort of now that yes. it's now that it's been a while, because I mean it's been it's been what, a little over a year since sort of it that has. moment 14 hit. Right? Months, Fourteen months there and about. It really hit me at the end of 2019. So um, right. Okay. Yeah. And so we're going to be talking about sort of your your new life uh, as a yeah. as a burnout coach uh, and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and we'll talk about the theatre specific issues that you've learned about kind of in a moment. But beyond just talking about the arts, sort of what are the circumstances in a workplace that lead up to burnout, kind of more broadly, kind of at a top level? Burnout is complete and utter emotional and physical exhaustion. So it's it's more than being tired. It's more than being stressed. It's that point when you just can't anymore. Um, really, you know, it's really connected with depression and anxiety and all of those sort of psychological factors that I am not qualified to delve into. But that was very much my experience and what happened to me. So it's emotional and physical exhaustion. It's it's disconnection and apathy is a is a word that comes into the definition quite a lot it's losing your passion and this is this is so relevant i think for everybody who goes through that burnout experience it's when you've worked so hard and so long at something you are so passionate for and when you suddenly lose that passion when you suddenly just don't want to do it anymore and when you just can't bring yourself to get out of bed it's really scary and it's really saddening when you suddenly lose that passion for the thing that defined so much of who you are and and everything that you do um and then thirdly it's it 
can be poor performance or it can be a perception of poor performance. I mean, ultimately, when you are exhausted physically, mentally and emotionally, when you're disconnected to protect yourself from the constant um, anxiety, stress and depression that you're dealing with um, and you've become apathetic to what you're actually doing um, and you've lost the will and lost the desire to keep going with what you're doing, then ultimately your performance is either going to be affected or you're going to feel like it's affected and that everybody's judging you for that. So um, that's kind of what burnout is, how it manifests is in so many different ways. Chronic fatigue, anxiety, depression, insomnia, negativity, apathy, emotional exhaustion, frustration, anger, memory problems. People like forget things, lose their memories, find that fuzzy brain um, and brain fog. It can manifest as um, like physical symptoms, like illness, like headaches, migraines, just this kind of idea of self-doubt and loss of who you are and loss of what makes you happy. And just it really is very isolating in that way. Um, so kind of it manifests in so many ways. Um, and the actual causes of it are many. <laughs> I could list so many. Um, and also, I want to stress that it's not just work. Like we're obviously talking about this in terms of work because I was a very career driven person and my burnout very much kind of came about because of the way that I was pushing myself um, career wise but a lot of the time it can come from responsibility of caring whether it's you know profession being a professional carer or um, looking after kids or looking after relatives or looking after other family members it can be connected with a relationship a toxic kind of relationship or it can be of course work related um so chronic continuous stress that's the top one um so when you're when you know there's stress and then there's chronic stress um and chronic stress over a prolonged period of time essentially equates to a trauma um and so that's essentially what you're putting your body and your mind through that complete lack of respite lack of release from that Mm. um a, a toxic environment is going to contribute to that, whether it's a relationship, um, whether it's a work environment, whether it's a family environment, um, and that very much that experience of not being able to escape from that environment. Practical things like an overloaded schedule, no rest or downtime, like no boundaries, um, all of that is going to contribute to it and cause and be a cause of burnout. Um, There's all personality traits, perfectionists, overachievers, people pleasers, very much primed for burnout and very much um, quite a defining feature, I think, of a lot of people that work in this industry, um, which is what I think we're going to talk about in a little bit, but just why it's so rife in the entertainment world. Mm. Um, And then in terms of actually the, the structure around you, like an imbalance of care, you caring a lot and working really hard and pushing yourself to care for something and that same care not being returned to you so whether it's a lack of HR support if it's in a work environment um, a poor support structure around you um, you know bad management frankly a lot of this stuff can come down from the top and when there's a structure at the top that kind of trickles down and affects the worker bees below um, that can contribute to burnout for, for those on the worker bee level um and you know long working hours um is obviously a factor as well so it's like all of these different things um I feel like that's a really rambling answer to give you but it's like a little checklist that people can go through and go oh yeah that's me that's me oh that's not me but that's me um so you know this is all this is all what I've learned in my in the last year talking to so many people in so many industries that have gone through um similar experiences there are external factors the environment that you're in, the way that you're supported and looked after. And then there are personality factors, having that unbalanced mindset of being desperate to please, being desperate to take on as much as you possibly can, needing to be perfect, needing to deliver. Yeah. And and what do you think the balance of those two things are? Because obviously, you and I both know people who have gone through, you know, a, a career of, of 
40 years in this industry and, and mm-hmm. being able and being able to make it through and that's you know possibly because yeah. they don't have that personality type where they take it so personally mm. um, and really feel it on their shoulders they just see it as going to work whereas there's plenty of people yourself included it sounds like who really do take it very personally and like you know they make their job a big part of their identity what, what do you think the balance yeah. is of kind of employee versus employer when it's a when it's a workplace career related burnout it's a lovely balance of overachievers and opportunists <laughs> right, i think that right. there's a i think there's such an attitude you know of i'm not going to say even younger generation because actually you know i don't think it's something that is specific to a particular generation um but a sort of entry level you know when you come into a job you want to just you're desperate to please you want to work so hard and of course if you're um you know in a position of power within a company and you've got this you know really great individual that wants to take on more work is asking for more work then you've got a chance to give it to them and it's not malicious it's just the sort of structure you've got an opportunity to load on work to this enthusiastic young soul who's just loves everything about the world that they're in and the job that they're doing and so they take on more and more work and quite often you know people are quite happy to give it to them but you know then there are those survivors who are still there and as you say who've got these like thriving careers and have that balance and um and I'm super super um impressed with that because I know how all-encompassing it can be I think you're absolutely right that it is um personality traits you know I think if you have a different mindset if you can separate work from life then you're absolutely on a stronger footing you know to be able to avoid that burnout and to find that balance from the get-go so many of us don't separate work from life so many of us I think in this industry our whole lives are our work I think that you know our social circle our work circle obviously um, but also our passion as well going to the theatre is what we love to do other people that work in theatre love to go to theatre so we go to theatre together you know and it's it's really something that has been interesting for me um, talking to various people since COVID and the lockdown and since everything has happened, um, that people have lost their entire social circles because their whole lives revolved around going into the office, going into the theatre, going for drinks afterwards. And suddenly there's only so many Zoom calls you can attend um, having a glass of wine on a Friday night before it just loses. It's, you know, there's nothing else to talk about beyond when's theatre coming back. So that's been really, really interesting to see. Yeah. So we've talked about the responsibilities on both sides. Obviously, it sounds like on the employee side, on the on the personal side, you're saying, uh, you know, finding a little more balance and trying to sort of draw those lines uh, between work and social, even if it's the same kind of people, like try and break that up a little bit more. On the employer side, at what point is it oh, here's someone who's enthusiastic versus now it's someone being opportunistic and uh, and putting work on someone that, you know, they might not be able to handle. How do you kind of identify where that line changes? I think that's such a huge question. And honestly, I think it's one that I am not ready to tackle an answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because sure. I, think it's, I think it's a huge, huge challenge. Um, I think there is a massive shift that needs to happen, not just in our industry, in so many industries. Um, And I think it's been really highlighted by our experience with COVID over the last year. You know, we've seen that we can do so much working from home. Um, You know, we can be really productive in a four hour morning, more so than we might be in a 10 hour day in the office, you know, with distractions everywhere. So, you know, that we know that the world can adapt. We know it doesn't have to stay the same and be exactly the same day after day. But that's not going to change overnight. And that is going to need more than just one person deciding that it needs to change. You know, I think the big thing is that we have to value people the same way that we value the ones in front of the curtain and on the stage. You know, I think it's not going to be an overnight shift. But I also think that the first step of that is that people need to start valuing themselves. I want to help the individuals. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of really amazing experts who I've been in contact with over the last year who specialize in going into organizations 
looking at the structures and going, okay, here are some changes that you can make in order to actually help your employees thrive and keep that balance and ultimately make them more productive and better workers overall for the organization. Like that's not something I do. And that's not something I really want to do. I want to help the people who are in that place who need to start making changes for themselves, because a lot of the time it's become an issue with self-worth. A lot of the time it's become an issue with how you view yourself and what you feel that you deserve. Um, And I think, you know, really getting to the root of that, knowing who you are, knowing what makes you happy, knowing what drives you and knowing who you are away from what you do is the first step, I think, in terms of finding balance. And then comes in the actual practical things that that I work with clients in terms of coaching on of like how to set boundaries, how to create those self-care practices in your daily life, how to make sure that you're getting enough sleep, how to make sure you're getting enough, you know, regular meals and exercise and all of that. But the first step is making sure that we actually value ourselves and we know our worth. Hmm. And how do you think gender plays into all of this? By which I mean women feeling like they need to work harder than men. Well, sorry, that's patronizing. Women having to work harder than men for the same level of respect, uh, especially in that sort of middle to high level space in the kind of role you were in where you're making really major and significant uh, decisions and uh, Mm -hmm. kind of leadership choices, but you're not necessarily yet, you know, a uh, a female theatre owner or a Tony winner or something like that, uh, sort of in that that middle office ground. How much of it do you think is a gender issue? I think the pressures are different. Obviously, the patriarchy is a problem. Um, and I've witnessed a lot of sexism and misogyny over my time, over the last 12 years. Um, and I've had some plenty of dodgy experiences. I mean, you know, I've, I've been very lucky in that I've worked in very sort of female-led um, environments so I've had quite positive experiences in a lot of ways I suppose I suppose more so my question is in the clients that you've been speaking with over the last mm. year ha- yeah I, gu- I guess what's the ratio is is oh, really a, a simpler question right most of right. them are women absolutely most of the people well most of the clients that I work with are women but I think in a way that's because I'm a woman um, and so you know there's that relatability there But I have also talked to plenty of men in the entertainment industry coming from the theatre industry and a bit wider. And um, that's a different experience, you know, for them. They they still struggle with others' opinion of them. They still struggle with the perception of speaking out and saying that they're struggling. I think that, you know, toxic masculinity is as much of an issue for them as female inequality is for us. So it's in regards to this specific experience of burnout, I've seen it more in women, but burnout is a male problem just as much as it is a female one. And so to talk now about uh, Maggie's supernova and your new mm. your sort of new life, once you had accepted that you had burned out and you, you couldn't just take a, a long weekend, as you said before, and pick it back up again. Yeah. <laughs> what was the thought process behind deciding to make burnout coaching your new career? You've admitted to me before it was quite soon after it happened uh, for you to start coaching other people about it, but clearly you were passionate about doing it and sharing what you'd learned Uh, even after just a a few months? Why was that? Well, I mean, I didn't really start coaching until um, quite a bit later, I would say. But I, so my healing kind of process was um, such a learning experience for me. And I think just because of the personality that I am and my my attitude towards um, having to be the best, which maybe is something I'm still dealing with. But um, when uh, when I started that healing process, I was very much like, I'm going to read all the books. I'm going to go to all the therapy. I'm going to listen to all the podcasts. I'm going to soak up all the knowledge. And I'm going to be the best at healing, um, which ultimately led me to burn out again while trying to get better. So that was a learning experience in itself. But I really went through a sort of like self-imposed rehabilitation process, really, because I really just locked myself away. I focused on getting better. I focused on um, actually sort of healing the physical aspects of 
what had happened to me in terms of the exhaustion, but also I really got to work on the mindset and the anxiety and the inner stuff, you know, processing everything. It was really educational for me because I just realized that there were so many simple things I could do that really helped regularly going to yoga classes and doing that kind of much more restorative kind of practice um, and starting meditation and getting really into my meditation and going to therapy regularly and structuring my days and um, doing all of the work that I was doing. And I started just sharing it with people, you know, friends and colleagues or former colleagues, you know, um, in the short term, just because it was the experience that I was going through um, and all of the interesting stuff that I was learning. And then I realized that what I was learning was helping them as well. Um, and so uh, then obviously COVID happened, the lockdown happened, and I was sort of forced to step back from everything. I left London um, because I lived in a flat without a garden <laughs> and um and if I could be in the countryside at my parents house then I was going to be so I, I left London I came out to the countryside I started training to become a yoga teacher I did a meditation course I just started soaking up all of this stuff and realizing that it was really helping me like learning all of the things that would help me and would also help others um, was really rewarding and the people that I was talking to and the people that I was helping at the time when I sort of started coaching before really knowing that I was going to go down that path were getting a lot of benefits from it so I started to look at it seriously kind of in the late summer and then set up my business um, sort of September October time last year and, and rolled out from there um, and mm. it's been going, you know, it's been going really well. It's been, it's been a real experience of kind of building up slowly and figuring out what I'm doing, but knowing that I have found something I'm good at, which is helping people not make the same mistakes that I did. Right. And what exactly is a, a burnout coach now in your eyes? If you had to give your job description in a few sentences now, mm. what would you, well, what would you be writing down? I think that the first thing to note is um, a coach in any capacity is not a therapist. Um, it's very different to that side of things. So whereas a therapist deals a lot more with kind of going back into childhood and finding the root causes of why you are the way that you are, a coach is a little bit more practical of like, okay, so this is the way you are. How are we moving forward from there? What I do is I, I help really frazzled, stressed out people, usually women, in starting to build that plan for getting their lives back on track. And not only getting their lives back on track, but also figuring out what it is that they actually want from life and what it is that's going to make them happy. Because that was the huge game changer for me, was realizing how unhappy I was um, doing what I thought was my absolute dream. And realizing that you know, so much of my own limiting beliefs were stopping me from actually being happy. And so happiness has become my priority. Happiness and balance are my priorities in life. I am pretty happy now. Um, and I've learned how to enjoy life and I've learned how to appreciate life. Um, and I'm really enjoying the process. And so I help other people figure out how to be happy and then I help them get there. And what sort of response have you had so far from your friends and your former colleagues who are still in the theatre industry to you know whatever extent they can be right now have you mostly been dealing with people in in theatre and the arts has that been yeah. most of the clientele that you've had a lot of industry colleagues sliding into my dms <laughs> <laughs> sure um so you know that's been uh, that's been brilliant because it's been the response has actually been really positive um in that in any capacity um it's it's worked really well because um, I've worked with burnout coaches, um, you know, and I've been coached myself in, in my own recovery. And it's really interesting how unique I think the theatre industry is. And yet the experience that most of the people that I've been working with have had, I can relate so much to it. And, you know, when we talk about stuff, there's a shorthand of, you know, just because I know, I know what it's like. I've been there. I know how the industry works. I know how the people work. So that's been really great because, you know, I think it's just, just kind of once you get to talk to somebody who speaks your language, 
then you can move forward and progress a lot more quickly and a lot more effectively. You've been part of discussion groups and and webinars and a few different things now um, that I've seen on uh, uh, on mm-hmm. your social media pages. I know you've been taking to Clubhouse recently um, yes. as both a participant <laughs> and a facilitator in uh, a number of forums. What have you found are the commonalities from other lines of work and, and what's totally unique to theatre? What are the things you don't hear from people who experienced in other businesses that perhaps you expected to based on your personal experience? I think it's the it's the passion and the way that we feel so personally invested in what we do. I think that's the real standout thing for me um, because I do actually, I'm part of a clubhouse room every Tuesday at 8 p.m. UK time, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time. All of the different coaches and experts in there have all come to um, experience burnout in different industries. And so we talk about it in terms of different perspectives from different industries and different experiences. Um, But the thing that I really feel is unique to the arts is that our work is our dream and our passion and what we have been driven to do since we were, you know, little theatre kids. And I think a lot of people, it's not everybody, but it's my experience and I know it's a lot of people's experiences. When you don't fit in as a kid, when you you find your tribe and your people who are your theatre people, whether it's in your, whether it's in high school, in theatre groups, whether it's at college, whether it's in the industry itself, you know, you desperately cling to that. It's about finding acceptance. It's about finding identity. Um, and it's about, it's about fulfilling that dream and that passion. And so, well, I think that is why it hits us so hard. Um, I think that a lot of people will have experienced this since the COVID lockdowns and and since the industry has obviously been hit so hard, um, is that suddenly overnight, if your industry is taken away, if everything that you are is taken away, then it's really devastating. Um, and actually, that was kind of what happened to me. You know, overnight, I stepped away for the sake of my own mental health Um, And for the sake of my own happiness and future life. um, And suddenly, my whole life was completely different. Everything that I'd known was gone. And, um, you know, I had to, I had some real interesting learning experiences with who who friends actually were, who stuck around, um, who was surprising um, to still be there and still be in my life and still be a friend and who um, was surprising to not be there anymore. I think that's what it is. I think that the unique thing about theatre is that it is our entire lives. It's our entire passion. And so it hits us so hard when it kind of turns against us, when burnout strikes. We push ourselves so hard because it's our everything, because it's our whole world and because we love it. And it's a wonderful thing. But it's not the only thing. And this is the big lesson I've learned. And I think um, from listening to the podcast, you know, listening to some of the things I've loved the episodes with workers who are furloughed or workers who have lost their jobs, you know, I've really found it really interesting listening to their perspectives of finding out a life outside the theatre and recognizing what that is and some of them are really enjoying it despite the challenges obviously and some of them are absolutely hating it and desperate to come back Um, and it's just really it's really interesting how everybody's kind of getting this opportunity to take a step back and to see what life is outside of the industry yeah it very much feels like the um the sort of glasses have come off for a second uh it's like when the matrix fails you know i want to also talk about um, the role of yoga and what you've been doing, because as well as burnout coaching, you're also teaching yoga now and looking at your website and social media profiles and the like, the, the two seem to be pretty deeply intertwined for you. I, I rarely see a post about one without the other. Uh, what's the role of yoga in your particular brand of burnout coaching? And do you feel both are necessary or are they actually two sort of standalone things that you do? Yeah, for me, it's absolutely hand in hand combined. I also um, got really into meditation and I, so I write and guide meditations as part of my, um, part of my offering and what I do as well. For me, yoga, 
um because I always did yoga before we all everybody you know we've been to a yoga class um I used to do you know hot sweaty yoga in a candlelit room with hip-hop music playing in the background because that was the kind of workout that I used to like to do you know something that I really felt like if I was going to go and work out I wanted to just sweat out my eyeballs that kind of level of (laughs) level of exercise um so when I burned out um I remember my therapist saying to me um you know, do you exercise? Like, what kind of exercise do you do? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So I go to Soul Cycle and um, I go to a boxing class. And she was like, whoa, how about something a little bit gentler? Um, and so I went to my local yoga studio um, and I signed up for a yin yoga class, which I'd sort of heard of, but not really, but it was candle lit. So I thought that kind of sounds like what I used to do. Um, and I walked into this room And I kid you not, like, it was the most zen space I've ever been in. It was, you know, the mats were all laid out, but on the mats were all of these squishy um, bolster cushions and bean bags and and blankets and all sorts of props I'd never seen before in a yoga class. And so um, my first experience of that kind of really slow, Um, really slow, steady, still yoga. Because if you don't know what yin yoga is, it's it's really different. It's really still. So you get into quite a simple pose and you stay there for like five minutes. And then you get into another simple pose and you stay there for five minutes. And, you know, each one of those poses, it's all about completely relaxing the body. It's all about going deeper than the muscles and really getting into the joints and the connective tissues and everywhere that we hold stress and tension in our bodies. And for me, it was a release of something that I didn't even know I was holding on to. You know, I remember really, really early in a class, I was like in a child's pose, which anyone who's done yoga class knows is absolutely the best pose in the world. Um, And I was in this child's pose and the teacher came over and just really gently laid her hand on my back in between my shoulder blades. And just that she didn't really press or anything. It was just like that gentle pressure and it unlocked something in me. (laughs) That was just mortifying because I just like immediately started crying and it was just this release of emotion that I didn't know was there. Um, And that was so transformative. I think my first experience of that, I just went, wow, I need some more of this in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I became hooked from then, then on. Um, and so when I started my yoga teacher training, um, which is, you know, your, your sort of initial training is generally in more of a vinyasa, ashtanga, hatha kind of more dynamic practice. Um, so I did that cause I had to get the qualification in order to teach, um, you know, professionally. Um, but then I dived into yin yoga and restorative, more healing yoga practice, Um, and it's just such a way of connecting with yourself, connecting with your body, connecting with your breath and relaxing your mind and releasing emotion and pent up, um, frustration and anxiety and stress that I've just become addicted to it. And I recommend it to absolutely everybody that I work with. And so I teach that class really regularly. I invite all of my clients to come to it. When I'm working one-on-one with a client, each week through the program, they'll get a special yin yoga class that's you know created specifically with that theme of that session in mind. Um, so it really goes hand in hand. And the same with meditation, because meditation was something that I thought was so embarrassing when I was first, when someone first suggested it to me, I was like, yeah, yeah, all right, meditation. Um, And then I tried it. And again, I realized it didn't give me that release like the yoga did, but it, it gave me that calm. And it gave me that moment of quiet in my mind, and just a chance to process everything. So both of those absolutely go hand in hand. I teach a meditation class every week and a yoga class every week. Um, and they connect with what I'm doing in terms of coaching and helping people with burnout recovery. They're very much intertwined. Given all of this and everything that we've talked about, going back, I suppose, to the girl who had two copies of Cats squirreled away for emergencies, yeah. uh, what's your relationship with theatre now? Obviously, it's quite easy at the moment to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking about a theatre job because there are none. Uh, but post-pandemic, do you see yourself 
even considering going back to the theater in something less intense and sort of with this new awareness that you've built up or do you really feel you're just 100% sort of done with it now I mean right now I'm loving what I'm doing I'm really enjoying living in the countryside and having space and I have a puppy so um, I'm enjoying being a puppy mum currently I have no plans to return to theater but I don't have decided not to put limits on myself anymore because I think that is a trap I always used to fall into. I decided that I was going to achieve something and I would work tirelessly to achieve it and accept anything else or I wouldn't accept anything else. Anything other than perfection was failure. Um, so I'm not going to limit myself to five-year plans anymore and I'm not going to say yes or no Um, but where I am right now where I'm how I'm feeling right now I feel like I'm on a different path now and I'm actually really looking forward to going back to the theater um, and watching a show and enjoying a show and loving seeing that art form um, and not having to be in anyway stressed about it um so that's kind of that's how I feel my relationship with theatre is at the moment I'm so excited for it to come back because I want to see it again it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Maggie Supernova's Meg Massey. And you can find out more about Meg's journey and her work as a burnout coach, as well as information on her coaching programs, yoga classes, and meditation sessions by checking out at Maggie Supernova Coach on Instagram or by visiting maggiesupernova.com. That's M A G G I E Supernova. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it on social media and head to your podcast app of choice to rate, review, and follow or subscribe. Some other housekeeping, the Broadway Podcast Network is thrilled to announce that we now have a dedicated iOS app for discovering and enjoying all of your Broadway-themed content on the go. You'll also get exclusive bonus content and early releases of new episodes if you choose to listen over there, so do check it out. That's available on the App Store or at bpn.fm app. Putting It Together is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals for the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Euless Pecan, and artwork and editing is by me, Ollie Southgate. You can find me on Twitter, I'm at Ollie Southie, or take a look at my website, that's ollysouthgate.com. In both cases, my name is spelled with an I-E, not a Y. I'll be back on the first Friday of April, so that's Friday, April 2nd. But until then, thanks as always for listening, and goodbye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.